Well, good morning. It's good to be here. In your bulletin, you probably have one of these, or you should have one of these. It's a brochure. It's called uh, uh, Vision 2023 Update. And I'll let you read that when you get a chance to. And it talks about uh, Grace Ministries International Strategic Plan, our 10-year vision for where we want to go as a mission organization. Now, what GMI does is we send out missionaries into the world, right? We send them out to work with local believers around the world to teach them, to train them, to work with them, to evangelize, to plant churches, to disciple and to train, and just to share God's love through acts of mercy. This is what we want to do. We want to empower local believers through our missionaries to go out and do the work of the Lord, which is to share God's grace with the world. Now, in this brochure, it'll give a description for you of what Vision 2023 is. But I guess the crux of it is, the bedrock of it is, is that we want to see eight new fields planted by the year or started by the year 2023. We want to have eight, eight new fields opened up. Now, you've been with us for a long time. You've been supporting Grace Ministries International for a long time. And since 2013, when we initiated or we adopted this vision, you've been with us. And so now three years have gone by since we adopted Vision 2023. And I guess I want to share with you guys a little bit about the progress that we've seen. Some of the things God is doing around the world. Three of our new fields, our three newest fields... Bonaire, which is an island off the coast of uh, Venezuela, uh, that was started a few years ago with uh, Carlos and Denise Brunk, who are missionaries with GMI. And right now on the, on, on the island of Bonaire, in Carlos and Denise's home, they have six couples working with, or, uh, are coming to their house every week for church services. Six couples in the last couple of years have started coming to this church, but that's not their only vision for the ministry on the island. Carlos and Denise have identified another part of the island where they want to open up a second church and start a second church on the island of Bonaire. Nicaragua is another new field that Grace Ministries International started. This was back in 2014. Uh, two of our missionaries there, Emiliano and Raquel, are Costa Ricans, sent in part by you folks here, we in the States, but also by the church in Costa Rica, by the churches in Costa Rica. And so they're there in Nicaragua, and they've started a church in their home as well. 20 people, 20 adults and kids come to their, their house every Saturday night for a church service. On Wednesday nights, nearly 30 young people come to their home for youth group and hear God's word. Now, we just purchased some land in Nicaragua, and they're going to start building on this land a place where they can meet, a ministry center, a church, if you will, where they can be doing more and more ministry, more effective ministry. But this is an exciting development. This is what God is doing as we're opening new fields. Paraguay is our newest field, and Jerry and Sandy Bomers will be heading down there later on this year as GMI missionaries. They'll be working with Alex and Delta Goulart, who are missionaries with us. Alex from Uruguay and Delta from Mexico. And just in their short time in Paraguay, where they've been since June of uh, this past year, uh, they're, they're working uh, in, in, a, in a part of the city where there's a large Muslim population, but they have a Bible study now with three different Paraguayan couples just outside of town in someone else's home where they're going to start a church. They want to start a church here relatively soon. But this is what God is doing is we're opening up new fields. 
as we're seeing the Lord work around the world. Now, if we want to open up eight new fields, that's obviously going to become necessary then that we seek and we find, we recruit, we incorporate into our GMI family new missionaries. And, you know, one of the reasons why I'm here this morning is just to share with you, Parkside Bible Church, the need for more missionaries. I can't tell you what a blessing it is to raise a family on the mission field. It's difficult. It's hard to do. But I want to tell you, it's a real blessing for your family. Just ask the Shermans and the Beavises who have uh, done this for a long time now. And they've seen their families grow up on the mission field. Our family, we're going to go back to uh, Nicaragua uh, in April and spend about 10 days there. And uh, serving with the missionaries and serving alongside of them. Last night, our family, uh, my wife and I and our, and our three kids who are 12, 10, and 8, along with a neighbor girl who's going to come with us to Nicaragua, we spent a, an hour and a half together reading the Bible, um, going over the different lessons we were going to teach, developing the questions we're going to ask kids, and coming up with activities and crafts that we want to do with them in order to figure out how we can best serve while we're down in Nicaragua. Just think about how wonderful it is to spend a Saturday night with your family thinking about and doing ministry together. One of the blessings of missionary work. Now, for those of you who might be considering it, I want to let you know that GMI, we want to help and guide you in training in preparation for becoming a missionary. I also want to know that we would want to talk to you about where your gifts might best help you fit into one of our fields. We'd like to have you go out and spend time with an experienced missionary family if you were to go on the field with us so you can learn the ropes and you can learn how to do missionary work with us. But, you know, as you think about missionary work, and, and sometimes it's hard to conceptualize because um, when you think about needs around the world, in terms of missionary service, we don't think about vacancies where there's someone not uh, serving in a particular position or, or maybe in a pastorate. But when we think about needs in the missionary field, we think about where there are no churches, where we think about where there's no, there are no people teaching the, God, uh, the grace of God, where people aren't teaching God's word as a foundation of all spiritual truth. And so that's how we look at need. As Kathy sung this morning, we think about all the people passing us by in those who need to know the Lord but don't. And so we want you to consider coming with us. This is a pretty big pond, and I'm out here fishing. I'm sure there's a couple families here in this church who've been thinking about missions for a long time. I want to encourage you. It's time to do something about that. I'd love to talk to you. We have a table set up out in the back here on the, the uh, foyer area. Uh, you can give me your information, and we can go ahead and uh, I can contact you. We can talk about missions. Go to our website. The contact information for GMI is in the back of this brochure. I'd love to talk to you more about missions and how that might look for you as an individual or for your family. The one thing I want to share with you as I leave then, as you consider, as you think about what that might look like even for your family, for you, about missionary life and service. One of our missionaries, Ted Rabinold, is in uh, Tanzania. And he's setting, off, he's setting out to, 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 um, uh, to set up a new missionary station in what's called the Rukwa Valley so we can reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has a pretty ambitious project and a pretty ambitious plan, which will require a lot of logistics and fundraising and, and those sorts of things in order to see it come to fulfillment. But he said to me a few weeks ago on the phone, he said, you know, Jeremy, I learned, my wife and I through a Bible study learned a long time ago that we always have to put ourselves beyond what our own means and abilities can accomplish 
so that we can see God's faithfulness, so we can see God bring us through, so we can rely upon the Lord, so we can see God act in our weakness. And that also is one of the great joys of being able to serve the Lord on the mission field and being a part of what he's doing around the world. I just want to thank your church for being a part of uh, Grace Ministries International and what we're doing. And um, I look forward to spending some time with you guys also during the lunch hour and uh, during the fellowship afterwards. Thank you. I mean, we're glad that you're here and what a, tra a tremendous challenge. Uh, that we have as churches and as a fellowship, the Grace Gospel Fellowship. We are part of that fellowship, and we are proud to be a part of the Grace Gospel Fellowship, and GMI is that arm that encourages us to reach out beyond our culture and to share the gospel around the world. And it is a real joy to have these folks here. I just think it's, it's amazing, and I'm glad that you're here this morning because these folks that are missionaries are very unique people. Uh, all of us that are saved are called to share the gospel, but there are some that God equips and God takes and places on their heart to go overseas and to go into another culture. And many of us are not called to do that, and that's okay. We all have our place, but these folks become an extension of us. And I really pray that you'll come to know them. In fact, tonight, I would encourage you to come back at 6 o'clock. We're not going to play Bunko. It, it is a game that we're going to play, but the, really the goal behind tonight is not to play Bunko. It's really for us to get to know our missionaries. And this is going to be a great way for you to get to know them. If you've never seen them play Bunko before, you've got to come and just watch the missionaries play this game. You're going to find out real fast and real quick what they're like. And so I want you to come tonight not to play a game, because that's, it's more important that we get to know these folks. And so come and join us tonight at 6 o'clock and just spend a couple of hours coming to know their heart. And that's really what it's going to be, coming to know them. I had an experience this morning that I've never had uh, since I've been here, and it was very unique. Uh, we've had the privilege this last weekend of having our four grandkids with us um, they have been with us for the last couple of days, and we usually don't worship with them, but it was interesting uh, holding uh, Colin in my arms this morning as we were singing and as we were worshiping. He can't keep up with Graham and Grandpa. He's falling asleep, and he's had a big weekend. And it was really fun uh, for us this morning to worship with our grandkids, but to think about the impact that we have on our grandkids to have them be here this morning on this significant Sunday of our calendar to know that we're passing on the baton off to the next generation. And that's really what we want to do. It could be that some of these little kids that are running around the church here this morning that are three, four, five, if the Lord doesn't come back, they might be the future missionaries that are going to be sharing the gospel. When we were in Eastport, I had the privilege of pastoring the church there, and we had a fourth, I think he was in fifth grade at the time, John Caprari was one of our uh, kids running through the halls of Eastport Bible Church. I didn't know it at the time, pastoring, but I know I remember seeing him, and I would talk to him periodically, but I really didn't know John very well. Come to find out, God has placed on John's heart to be a missionary overseas. Went to Grace Bible College for a number of years, and I taught there. And one of the students that was one of the most outstanding students that I had in the classroom was John Caprari. 
John had a heart for God, had a heart for people, and he had a heart for the scriptures. And it was really fun to have John in, in the class, especially in the preaching class of homiletics. And it was a real joy to see he and his wife at the time, I think you were dating, weren't you, when we were on the mission uh, team together. The two of them were on a mission team that we went out, we traveled together, we did some ministry together. And it is just a real joy to see God bring these two young people together and put on their heart the passion and the burden to share the gospel in Tanzania. And it is a real thrill and it's a real privilege to give the pulpit to John this morning to have him challenge us. And so I'm going to ask John and Naomi both to come as we have a word of prayer for them. Pray that God over the next 20 minutes, 25 minutes, will uh, do a work in our hearts as we listen. I need to hear from God this morning. How about you? And we need to hear what God's word has to say. And so we are really privileged to have John challenge us from the scriptures. Preach the word. Father, thank you for the privilege of being under the teaching of your scriptures and under the watchful eye of your Holy Spirit. Father, we need to hear from you this morning. So we are so thankful for your servant. Thank you for this couple. Thank you for these missionaries that are here representing different countries. Oh, God, give us a passion to get to know these people. Help us, Father, to see that they become an extension of this local congregation. Give us, Father, a vision to see what you see. And, Father, we need to hear this morning from the word. I pray that you'd bless John as he presents it. Thank you for the opportunity to listen. And pray, Father, that you'd just give us a good time around the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Well, wow. Pastor Gary sure does have a, a way to make you emotional, doesn't he? Jeez. Uh, it, is, it is kind of seeming like a little bit of a reunion because I was on this pastoral ministry team with Pastor Gary for a few years, and Steve and Kathy came along with us as well, leading worship, and uh, we would preach. And so it, was, uh, it seems like this is what it is in, in a way. And, and another thing, too, as I was walking down the aisle, Naomi and I, we actually got married in this church, and it kind of seemed like we were doing like the step thing and the... Like you're getting married, and so uh, we've got good memories with the people here and uh, at this church as well. And so, uh, but I want to I want to speak to you from from the Word. And so, if you have your Bibles with you, open with me to Romans chapter one. And I have as as you're opening there, I have a scenario that I want to read to you that really plays in to what's in this passage here. It says. The scenario goes like this. Suppose there were two luxury liners on the sea and both began to sink at the same time with huge numbers of people on board who they didn't know how to swim. And suppose you were in charge of a team of 10 rescuers on two large boats. So two boats total, five rescuers on each boat. You arrive on the scene of the first sinking ship and find yourself surrounded by hundreds of screaming people. Some going down before your eyes, some fighting over scraps of debris. Some are ready to jump into the water from the sinking ship. Several hundred yards away, at the second ship, the same exact thing is happening. Your heart breaks for the dying people and you long to save as many as you can. So you cry out to your two crews to give every ounce of energy to pull as many as possible out of the water. Spare no pain, spare no effort. There are five rescuers in both boats and they're working with all of their might at the first ship. 
They're saving many people. And then someone cries out from the second ship 100 yards away, would you come help us too? Come help us too. What would you do? You're in charge of the two boats that are rescuing many people at the first ship. Are the people in the first ship more important than the people in the second ship? Is it worth the time and the resources to get over to the second ship? What, what would your response be? What would you do in a situation like that? And what would we do? And I believe that the answer lies in the theme of the mission conference here at this church. To love locally and to reach globally. To love locally and to reach globally, and I believe that these terms love and reach, they're interchangeable because if we truly love, then we're going to willingly reach. And if we are naturally reaching people, both locally and globally, then that means that we are sacrificially loving at any cost it might take to love and reach these two groups of people. So the answer to this scenario is to love and to reach locally and to love and to reach globally. So in Romans chapter 1 here, I I believe Paul gives his answer to this scenario as well. And, And his answer is this, that we cannot ignore either ship. It's not one or the other. In fact, loving and reaching only the first ship uh, is, is borderline disobedient to what God calls us to do here in the Word. It's our obligation to the gospel to reach these people. So in Romans chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 8. Man, I'm tearing this thing up. My New Yorkerness coming out. Maybe I'll push it back a little bit. Romans chapter 1, verses 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some kind of spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that by you I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I I planned many times to come to you in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles. Verse 14. I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. And uh, here, here's where I'm focusing here in, in verse, verse 14. I am obligated. Man, I'm just going to go with the, the wireless. Hello, hello. There we go. Okay. Verse 14, okay? We've we got to get back into the word here. We need to focus here in verse, verse 14. Paul says, I am obligated both to the non-Greeks and to the Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. And, and really what he's saying is, I owe these people. 
It is my responsibility to go to the Greeks. And it's my responsibility to go to the non-Greeks. And this word obligation is used elsewhere throughout Scripture. And this word, it's used in a way of a monetary sense. So when you're in debt, you owe money back to the lender. So Paul is saying just as someone who is in debt owes money back to their lender, I am in debt to these people. And I owe it to them to bring the gospel to them. And I think it's important for us to unpack what, what he's trying to say here by Greeks and by non-Greeks. And so uh, when people during Paul's time read Greeks, they automatically thought, you know, these are, these are the in people. You know, these are the, this is the in culture. Just like in Holland, right? The, the saying goes, if, if you're Dutch, you're, no, that's not how it goes, but uh, you're much, right? Uh, it's the same thing. If you're Greek, you're, you're, you're it. If you're Greek, you're educated. To be Greek meant to be intelligent. To be Greek meant to be respected. To be Greek meant to be wise. To be Greek meant to be something special. And Paul says, I am obligated to these people. And the people during this time, when they read this, they also knew exactly what he meant by non-Greek. And maybe your translation says barbarian. And let me try it one more time. To be, to not, oh, I can't do it. To be Dutch, no, to not be Dutch means to not be much. Yeah, so it, it's the same thing, right? To not be Greek means to not be much. <laughs> and, and to be a barbarian meant to be a foreigner. That's the word <laughs> that is used throughout Scripture for foreigners. To be a barbarian, to be a non-Greek meant to be someone who practiced a different culture. To be a non-Greek meant to be uneducated, not respected, foolish almost. And Paul says, yeah, I am obligated to these people. And I'm obligated to these people. And essentially, what is he saying? My name is Paul, and I am obligated to all kinds of people. And if I were to give you my translation for the verse, the John Caprari translation, a little better than the message, I think. Uh, it goes like this. I, Paul, am obligated both to people locally and to people globally. I, Paul, am obligated to people locally and to people globally. And uh, Paul feels like he owes these people the gospel. People that are, that are like him and people that on the surface really don't even seem to be like him. He says, I'm obligated to both of these kinds of people, but the reality is that Paul spent his ministry. He gave his life to the barbarians, to, to the non-Greeks, to the people who were global. He, he, he traveled over 15,000 miles throughout his time to reach people in cities and regions that were beyond his own. Now, to give you an idea, we're going to Tanzania, and it's only 7,000 miles away, and we're going there by plane. This guy went 15,000 miles to reach these people. In Romans 15, he writes that the gospel has been fulfilled all the way through Jerusalem to Illyricum. And I know they just sound like towns and cities, but th this is a big area. And so does Paul mean that every person in this area of the world has, has been saved when he says, I have fulfilled the gospel? No, by no means. But we read later in, in chapter 15 that Paul says, it's my ambition 
to preach the gospel where there's been no foundation already laid. It's my ambition to get the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ out to people who have never heard of Jesus Christ. And you might say, oh, that's only during that time. That's only when Christianity first began. That's not true today. And I'm, I'm here to tell you today, and I don't often tell people this, but if that's what you think, you're wrong. Okay? If you think that there's people who have not heard of the name of Jesus Christ, you're wrong on that one. Because there's over 3 billion people in the world who are considered unreached. In other words, there's 3 billion people in the world who they do not have access to the gospel. You might, you might go to school with people who not, don't know the Lord. You might work with people who don't know the Lord. You might pass by people uh, who are in your group uh, of friends that might not know the Lord, but they are not unreached. Want to know how I know that? Because you know them. You are their access to the gospel. These people out in the world, non-Greeks, barbarians, they do not have that same kind of access to the gospel. And so Paul writes to the Romans <laughs> to encourage them and strengthen them in their faith and, and to teach them so that they can continue to reach their own city because, you guys, Rome was was a hub. It was a strategic place for, for there to be a church and for Christianity to be expanding throughout the world. Paul had never even been there, but he writes to them to encourage them and to help them to grow in their, in their relationship with God so that they can continue to reach their own city. But he also writes to them for another reason, to show them and give them the awareness that the gospel needs to go beyond their own region. And the gospel needs to be taken to places beyond their own city. He writes in, in verse 24 of chapter 15, I plan to visit you when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. And after I've enjoyed your company for a while, Spain was considered the ends of the earth, okay? Spain was the last place I had not heard the gospel and Jesus had not been proclaimed there. And he says, I need to go there and I need to get the gospel there. And so he says to the Romans, I need to go there. And you know what? As I go to you and encourage you and have maybe a missions festival with you, you are playing a huge role in getting not me to Spain, but the gospel to Spain. As I come and encourage you, you will assist me to get the gospel out to the places where the gospel has not yet been taken. Paul was obligated to people locally and to people globally. And this was not an option. This is something that he had to do. This is something that he figured must be done. This was his responsibility, his duty. And this obligation came from a real understanding of the gospel. And so Parkside Bible Church, we're obligated. We're obligated to the gospel. We owe the gospel to people here and to people there, to people near and to people far. And so in Romans chapter 1, I've got three points that I feel Paul lays out that shows us why we are obligated. And so point number one, we are obligated to the gospel 
because of God's condemnation. We're obligated to the, to the gospel because of God's wrath. He writes in verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18 through 21. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so there's two things going on here. The first thing is that, that God is saying, I made this world in a way in which people will look at the world and say, yeah, there is a higher being. You look at the stars and night and that is supposed to draw us towards God. Not only did he make the world that way, but he's made us that way. That there is this thing within us innately that we are drawn to God, to a higher being. If you were to take a survey of the world, of what they worship, almost all people say they worship a higher being. That's only the very educated people who decide to be atheists. It's, it's the truth. And so what's going on here is Paul is saying God has given everyone a knowledge of him, himself. And the second thing that's going on here is that these unreached people throughout the world, they have this knowledge of God, and they've decided to reject that knowledge. They've decided to make God into someone who they want him to be. They decide to make God into something that they can see with their own eyes. Uh, and, you know, we do that as well. We make God into something that, that we can worship with our own eyes. We, we make idols and images of ourselves and of people, and this is what goes on around the world in many different forms. And so God has made himself known, and people reject that knowledge. Romans 1, 18 through 21. And I, I want to ask you a question. What if an unreached per person, they have never heard the gospel, they've never heard of Jesus Christ and what he's done, what happens if they die? Do they go to heaven or do they go to hell? Well, yeah, uh, good answer. Because here's the logic. If, they've, if these unreached people, three billion people in the world, they die and they have heard of Jesus Christ and they didn't decide to believe in Jesus Christ, well, well then they don't go to heaven. And they go to hell. But what if, what if we said, oh, if they, they don't hear about Jesus Christ, they automatically go to heaven? No. That would be contradictory to what Paul is writing here in Romans 1. It would be contradictory to what God says throughout the word of God. People are guilty, both here and both there. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 6.23, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is what? But the gift of God is what? Guess what we've earned? Death. That's what our wages are. That's what we deserve. But God makes guilty people into innocent people. So if I were to ask the question again, if an unreached person had never heard the gospel and they were innocent, where would they go? They go to heaven because they were innocent. 
But there are no innocent people. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He makes those who were once guilty innocent at the cross of Calvary. And so I make reference to unreached people around the world who have not believed in Jesus Christ, but the reality is that there's people locally right here in Holland that need Jesus Christ. There's people probably in this church that have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. And today is the day to do that. God makes guilty people who deserve death, he gives them eternal life. If you feel like God is leading you to do that today, I want you to know that you need to make that decision today because there's, there might not be a tomorrow. I've heard it said that the good news, the gospel, is only good news if it makes it on time. It's made it on time today. And so if you feel like you need to make a decision, come talk to me afterwards. Missionaries, raise your hands. Come, go talk to missionary, raise your hand. Go talk to a missionary afterwards. Past, pastors, who's on staff, raise your hands. Because this is serious. A decision needs to be made for Jesus Christ. And if you have any questions, you should talk to these people about making a decision for Jesus Christ. So uh, we are obligated, number one, because of God's condemnation, because of God's wrath. Number two, we're obligated because of compelled motivation. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, that the love of Christ compels us. We don't do anything special because we thought about it. We don't do good works because we're good. We do good because God has already done good to us. We love because God has already loved us. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, uh, I'll read this for you. You can follow along with me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. You guys, we're talking about the good news Great news, the best news. Why are we ashamed of it? Maybe if it were bad news, we might think, oh yeah, I'm going to keep that to myself. Or we might be ashamed of it. But this is good news. News is something that's meant to be shared with the world. We're talking about the good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ represents his love for us. The the cross of Calvary, Jesus' death represents his love poured out for us, but it also represents the power of God. That's what it says here in 6. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. The gospel defeats sin, right? And it pays the penalty of sin, offering eternal life to all who believe. The gospel endures and it even embraces the cross, the most brutal death imaginable. The, the gospel destroys death and can't keep Jesus Christ from eternal life. The gospel transforms people. People who were once living and indulging in a life of sin, the people who give their lives to God. The gospel is the power of salvation. So the gospel in itself compels us to motivation. We are obligated to the gospel. Why? Because of the gospel, because of the power of the gospel, because of the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, number three, we are obligated to the gospel because of conclusion concentration, because we're focused 
on the end of the story. That's one of the coolest things about the Bible is that we know how it's going to finish. We know that, and we know the score at the end of the game, and God wins. God, God is the winner. We owe it to people locally, and we owe it to people globally because we know the end game. It says in Romans 1, verse 5, Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And so here's, here's the language. All the Gentiles, another, another way to say that is all the nations. All the nations. We know how it's going to end in Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 10. It says, after this, this is a revelation to John. And he says this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, tongue, people, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's Jesus. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their they were singing, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It says the same thing in chapter 15. Who will not fear you, O Lord? All the nations will come before you and worship worship you. And a lot of times we say this, oh, if I were to just know the outcome of this, I would have done this instead. Or if I were to know the outcome, I Knowing the outcome, I regret that I didn't do this. And you can't say that when it comes to God's plan. Because we know the outcome. All people, all nations are going to be worshiping God, bowing before him. And the question is, are you going to be a part of what God's doing? We're we're right here by the lake, and I like the, the water theme. Imagine a boat is leaving from Traverse City. Its final destination is Chicago. It's going along the coast here. Here's the catch. Every, every couple miles, it's got to pull over. It's got to get more gas. And you know what? There's got to be people who keep building it bigger because more people are getting on the boat. Okay, here's my analogy, right? We know Chicago is the conclusion, the consummation of God's plan. The question is, are you, are you going to get on the boat and are you going to be a part of the fuel for the boat? Are you going to be part of making the boat bigger so more people can get on the boat? And you know what? doesn't matter if you help out or not because the boat's going. We know it's going to make it to Chicago. We know what it looks like. Romans 1, 5, Revelation 7, 9 through 10, all nations worshiping God. Are you going to be part of it? God's going. Are you going to get on his team? Our obligation to the gospel flows from a true understanding of the gospel. And so just in closing, the last few minutes, a time of meditation, a time to think. So what? All this information about the gospel and about thinking about the end and, and the motivated by the gospel and so on and so forth. So what? What do we do? Romans chapter 1, verse 15 is my last verse. I mean, Romans 1. In 14, Paul said, I'm obligated both to people locally, globally, Greeks, non-Greeks. In 15, he says, this is why I am so eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. How often do you hear those two words go together? Eager in preaching. Eager in preaching the gospel. And you guys know that often we think of preaching as guy up here to a bunch of people out there, that's, that is preaching, and we're, I'm preaching a sermon right now, but the word preaching, it, what it means is proclamation, proclaiming a message. You don't need to be up front to proclaim a message. 
So what message are you, we're all proclaiming a message right here, right now, every day, where you go. We all proclaim a message. Is it the gospel? Are we eager to proclaim the gospel? Usually we equate being eager to do things like having a fun night or going to play sports or Naomi and I, we had s'mores last night, eager to eat some s'mores. Are we eager to proclaim the gospel message? It's time that we start to get eager about things that have eternal impact. So what does it look like for you individually to proclaim this message, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim Jesus Christ? We often think of it as a sermon, but it's more than that. Are you talking to your friends? Are you talking to your neighbors? Are you witnessing with the people who are around you? Are you loving like Alexis read in John chapter 13? Are you becoming like the people who need to be saved, like Caleb read in 1 Corinthians? Are you doing that locally, right where you are, right where God has you? And are you doing that globally, whether that means going as a missionary, going on a missions trip, praying for missionaries, that is part of the proclamation Sending missionaries, giving to missionaries globally. Paul says we are obligated to people locally and globally. How are you going to proclaim the message of the gospel in both of these two areas? Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for this day that you have given us, Lord. Each day we thank you for. Life is a miracle. Life is an amazing thing, Lord, and I pray that we don't waste any time living for ourselves because you've paid our debt, you've bought us, you've redeemed us, and our life is yours. I pray that we would acknowledge that and live for you, Lord, and if there's someone here that has not made that decision yet to put their faith in you, Lord, to give them your life, Lord, I pray that they would do that because today is the day and you have already paid for their penalty. And so if you are someone like that, you would join with me in praying that, God, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I am not worthy of you. I am a guilty person. But, God, I know that you can make me innocent through the blood of Jesus Christ. I give you, I give Jesus my life, and I put my faith and trust that he is the one that gives me eternal life and salvation, and it's nothing that I myself can do. We thank you for that message, and we thank you for the motivation it gives to us to live life every single day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.